You're listening to a podcast extra for Think Digital Futures. This is for the tidbits that didn't quite make their own episode, but I still really want to share with you. This extra is in some ways a prelude to the next episode. That will be about video games and online streaming. This, on the other hand, is about a pretty unique and hugely popular internet subculture that got its start on health forums. You may have heard of it, or if you haven't, maybe you're already familiar with some of the triggers. It's called ASMR, short for... Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response, which maybe doesn't clarify things much. And this is Rob Gallagher, postdoctoral researcher at King's College London. He looks into digital identity and has written about the relationship between algorithms and the spread of ASMR online. But before we go on, if you are already sensitive to sounds, you should be warned that you might hear some triggers. What is ASMR? It's a kind of tingling sensation that I do not experience, but for people who do, I understand it's particularly intense around the kind of scalp and the nape of the neck. And it can be triggered, a term that this community uses, by certain stimuli, often auditory stimuli sounds, soft whispering often, um, other triggers like this. Maybe it's useful to start with the distinction between intentional and unintentional ASMR videos. So videos that are purposefully created to induce this sensation versus videos that just happen to be used as triggers. Because initially the community were talking about documentaries, Uh, Bob Ross's painting tutorials were popular. Hello, I'm Bob Ross, and I'd like to welcome you to the 29th Joy of Painting series. Scenes from reality TV shows where people were whispering to one another um, on Big Brother or something like that. And these turned out to be triggers. And from there, they kind of developed this repertoire of techniques. And today, if you Google or if you look for ASMR on YouTube, what you will often see is um, performers delivering these kind of role plays, looking straight into the webcam as if they're looking into your eyes. They're whispering. They're often taking on a role like doctor or an optician or a hairdresser or someone who's paying very careful attention to you. That's probably the, the classic ASMR video format now. Yeah. I mean, if you don't get the ASMR response, how do you feel when you're watching this video? I suppose for me that they're actually slightly kind of uh, claustrophobic. There's still a very kind of visceral reaction, but um it's as much kind of aversion or disorientation as it is pleasure. And that was kind of what interested me, how a sensation that's obviously so uh, personal and so subjective can come to be shared because of the way the internet works. In terms of what we know medically about ASMR, does everyone have the same response to it or are people seeing different things in the same video? There hasn't been all that much medical research and it's something the community is very keen to have more of happen and i also think in some ways if you put someone in an fmri and you see which bits of their brain light up you know which bits of their brain are getting oxygen but you maybe don't know any more about what's causing this and why but the community's kind of developed all these uh, methods of trying to categorize different triggers that seem to work for different people of trying to determine which videos are most effective And often to do that, they're using these feedback mechanisms that are built into platforms like Reddit, like YouTube. Upvotes and likes become these kinds of measures on a scale of more to less tingly. 
And there are also sites like ASMR University, where some of the ASMR community, some of whom work in the sciences or medicine, uh, exchange theories about what might be going on neurologically. How long have we known about the existence of ASMR as, I guess, an almost medical category? I can't remember when exactly the term is coined, but I think it's the late 2000s. And it really emerges out of online health forums uh, where people discover that they're all experiencing this same phenomenon, apparently. And there wasn't really a term for it. Certain terms are proposed. They had been referring to it as headgasms or brain orgasms. This did not sound like the sort of term that was going to get serious medical research funding behind it. And also had this sexual connotation that the vast majority of the ASMR community would refute. For them, it's it's not a sexual pleasure, this kind of tingling. You mentioned a lot of people see ASMR as a sexual activity, but mm. you disagree with this. Why? So in the in the kind of academic work, there's sort of two angles, one of which would say that maybe there's a sexual dimension to lots of areas of human behavior that we don't tend to see in those terms. So maybe we need to expand or refine our definition of what counts as sexual. And I'm kind of sympathetic to that view in some ways. But I also think if, if you kind of take these communities at their words and accept that it isn't sexual, maybe that's interesting, that not everything has to uh, come down to the erotic. And I think we're quite bad at talking about pleasure in general. So I'm interested in these kinds of attempts to create a language to talk about this pleasure that they insist is not sexual. Um, what are some of the more popular, is it ASM, ASM artists? Yeah, I, I love that term. I think Heather Feather remains perpetually popular. The water whisperer Ilsa. I did some work with two UK ASM artists, uh, Whispers Red, who's probably one of the, the biggest British ASM artists, and a guy called Muted Vocal, who kind of reads Gothic literature in um, a wonderful baritone voice. They were they were kind of catering to quite different audiences, using quite different genres. So there, there is a range, and I think the videos have sort of crossbred with other online genres. So you have ASMR unboxing videos or ASMR makeup tutorials or ASMR videos where people are playing a video game and talking about what they're doing. So I, I think there's, there's kind of communities within communities following these artists. Why forums? Why did it take these online forums to get this term out in public? So uh, this is kind of the aspect that interests me, how this culture emerged from the internet, from search engines, from recommendation algorithms. I really think you can see a sort of snowball effect once a particular term comes into use and a little bit of consensus builds up behind it, it starts to appear in search results because Google is obviously offering people kind of predictive results and it, it really snowballs from there, I think. Okay, so how do we understand this relationship between ASMR and algorithms? One way to, to think about it is search, as Google have said in the past, they, they see it more and more as trying to predict what you want before you even know what you want. Um, and that's the way that they've they've kind of configured the search engine. And obviously a lot of searches are posed as questions and you, you see the kind of autofill fields on, on a Google search. 
so when words like tingling and tingles and um, strange sensation were being used, the internet began to associate that with the, the four-letter string ASMR and these, these kind of health forums and these online discussion groups and sites like isitnormal.com were the destinations that these people arrived at. Then they understood what they were experiencing as ASMR. Then they found the, the videos or there are actually kind of many routes into it, I suppose. And what do viewers of these videos get out of it? Like, what are the kinds of things you see in the comments? So for some of them, and this, I guess, is also interesting in terms of whether or not we can see in a medical framework, it's relief from conditions like insomnia or anxiety or even kind of chronic pain. They claim that these videos help them to manage that and to get away from that. So in those cases, watching a video last thing at night, every night, might be... um, the difference between getting a good night's sleep and not. Um, Others, it's just the kind of the buzz, the tingling. But I think there's also a sense of being part of a community and of having this very intimate but mediated relationship with specific performers. So possibly different dimensions for different people. Thinking about my own work, I've become really interested in sleep aids in general and in the the role that technology plays, but also kinds of drugs and rituals and spaces and lighting conditions. Um, So I definitely think uh, ASMR is connected to some other interesting phenomena in terms of changing uh, attitudes to sleep. I mean, I feel like in that respect, there's there's mixed messages. Like I I have trouble sleeping, so I use a mindfulness app. And while Mm. listening to this app, you have a meditative voice telling you to switch off from all technology. And you're like, well, I, I can't because I use this app to sleep. This is weird. Like, like the idea you can build anti-addiction features into a smartphone. Exactly. Well, I think that's definitely another interesting dimension of ASMR, that you see these oppositional attitudes where, you, where you're trying to use the technology in a way that's counterintuitive to the way you normally use the technology. You're quite soft-spoken yourself. Have you thought about starting a YouTube channel? I have not, no. I've Through talking to ASM artists, I've come to realise what a lot of hard work goes into these. There's a lot of craft and technique. And um, yeah, my, I'm, I'm not sure I'm up to it, frankly. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this podcast extra. If you want to learn a bit more about the ASMR community, there's some links online. Just head to 2SCR.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. As always, this show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and recorded at 2SCR 107.3 in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. I'm Shane Anderson. This has been Think Digital Futures. Thanks for listening.